because you love us. Mm. Help us to serve you with our whole hearts. In Jesus' name. Amen. This evening's message is called The Fear of the Lord. Well, there's a punch, right? The fear of the Lord. Uh, but I want to say, I don't think that we've been looking at this too much lately. What the fear of the Lord is all about. What does it really mean? How do we walk in the fear of the Lord? And what we need to realize before I start is that the fear of the Lord is a blessing for the believer. If you're a believer, the fear of the Lord is a good thing. The fear of the Lord opens up so many avenues and promises of God in our lives, if you're a believer. So we want to make sure we don't have the wrong idea about what the fear of the Lord is. And so tonight, when we talk about the fear of the Lord, I want us to talk about what is the fear of the Lord, and why do I need it? Why do you need it? Why do believers need to walk in the fear of the Lord? First and foremost, what I want to talk about and say is that we must begin by making sure that we don't take our own gift of salvation too lightly. I think that's right there where it begins. Too many people don't understand what they've done when they've said a believer's prayer. And God is far above us in every way. That's our starting place. He's far above us in every way. We cannot always compare our God, his thoughts, what he does, his actions, to what we would do. We just can't do it, but we, we have a tendency to fall into that. Yep. So we got to remember that we cannot allow God to be denigrated to being like our good buddy. People like to treat God like their good buddy. It doesn't mean that he's not our friend. The word of God says, I'm a friend of God. We sing songs, I'm a friend of God. But he's not your good buddy, ready to bless you and deliver to you whatever you, what's on your mind, whatever whim you have. Whoa. That's not who he is. Nope. We Amen. must willingly uh, uh, serve him and seek his will. He Amen. is against sin. And we're not, we, sometimes we want to wink at sin. Our personal relationship with him is so amazing. The fact that he offers that to us is so amazing. But we can't ask him to look the other way. We wish he would sometimes. But that's he's not going to. So we need to make sure we, we, we're walking in the relationship that he has decided he wants to have with us. The relationship that's on his terms, not on my terms not on your terms. That's the relationship he offers us, period, period, Amen. right? We know that Jesus came to call sinners to repentance, right? We know that. We speak about it all the time. He came to seek and to save the lost because back in that old Garden of Eden, right? Adam and Eve did the one forbidden thing and they lost their intimate relationship with God. So sin and death, like a great pollution, entered into the world. And before we start thinking, oh boy, well I've heard this before, and 
Uh, we're going to hear stuff that I've heard so many times, and I already know that. There's something about the word I want to mention right here, and that is, is that the scriptures tell us to incline our ear to the word. When we incline our ear to the word, incline is like a, a right now thing. It's not something, well, I've heard that before. It does not say, you have inclined your ear. It says, incline your ear. Because the word of God is living. It's active. It is new every time we read it. Whatever you're going through at this very particular moment, when you hear the word of God, even if you've heard the same thing over and over and over again, it will do something new in you if you incline your ear. So as I'm saying this, I'm just going to ask all of you, incline your ear. See, Don't just, just rely on what you've known in the past or you've heard in the past. Incline your ear. What is the Holy Spirit of the living God speaking into your life, into your heart right now, this moment, for whatever you're going through right now? What does he have to say to you? Jesus poured out his blood. He poured out his very blood for the remission of our sins. I want us to, to understand this and really think about the horrible, horrible price that he paid. He paid a big, big price even to come down here and walk as a man, to be born as, a, as an infant. He paid a big price. But his love and his mercy is that exceedingly great for you, for me, that he was willing to do that. So when we think of the fear of the God, God, I want us to, to realize who this God is that we serve and how he literally went through hell. He went through hell that we might receive his mercy and grace. He's given us all the ability by the power of the Holy Spirit to continually overcome sin. And sin, as we all know, is what the Word tells us, separates us from God. The sin that leads to our sorrows, to our disappointments, and eventually to death. Not just physical death, spiritual death as we separate from him. He's given us the opportunity, though, to live now by what he did. He's given us an amazing opportunity to live right now in his presence and to live forevermore in his presence. Did the Lord Jesus Christ go through every single thing that he did, walking as a human being in this earth, dying, suffering? Did he go through every bit of what he did so that we can keep on sinning? So that we can keep on doing the very thing that separates us from him? No, he didn't, didn't come to die for us so that we could keep on doing that. Have we heard what he did, what he's done, and what he's continuing to do so much that we've become hardened to it? That it doesn't mean anything to us very much when we hear, oh, he died on the cross? He shed his blood? God, our God, who created all things, expects us to remember that he's the potter. So I'm really glad they played that song. He's the potter. 
He expects us to recognize that Jesus, who came into this world as a baby, guess what? He no longer looks gentle, meek, and mild. His countenance now is like the sun, the scripture says. His eyes are like flaming fire. His words, we are told in Revelation, will go forth out of his mouth as a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, strike the nations. And he himself will rule, it says, with a rod of iron. That's our gentle, meek, and mild Jesus. He himself will tread the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And verse 16 of Revelation 19 says, And on his robe and on his thigh, King of kings and Lord of lords. That's the picture Revelation 19.16 paints for us. Can you see it? Can you see him coming on that white horse? This robe that was dipped in blood, flames of fire. That's our Jesus. That's our Jesus. So then we need to ask ourselves, knowing what we know, what is the fear of the Lord as a believer? What is the fear of the Lord? In Exodus 20, the people saw Mount Sinai. They saw Mount Sinai in smoke. And there was thunder and there was lightning and they heard a trumpet. And when they saw that, the people trembled with fear because they were thinking they would surely die if they heard God speak. They would surely die if they heard God speak. And in verse 20, Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come on Mount Sinai to test you, and that his fear may be before you, so that you may not sin. So Moses doesn't want uh, you to fear. That's what he said. He said, God does not want you to fear. And the word used there in Hebrew is Yahweh. God does not want you to be frightened and put in dread, because that's what was happening to the people, but to let his fear, which is Yira, morally reverent fear, which can also cause a person to tremble, morally reverent fear, let his fear be always before your face. Recognize who your God is. As we worship him, as we praise him, let that morally reverent fear of how big God is be ever before your face. On that mountain, Mount Sinai, we all know the Ten Commandments were given, and commitment at that time was measured by those Ten Commandments of God, right? The Israelites did not have the blessing and the promise that we have. What we have, they did not have the Holy Spirit with them, living in their heart individually, living in their spirit, connected with their spirit. 
They didn't have the Holy Spirit of the living God teaching them and guiding them and showing them all the ways of the Lord. They didn't have that. But the fear of the Lord today calls us, each and every one of us, to walk in the Holy Spirit obediently. Putting on, as we've read so many times, is put on Christ, it says, but putting on the attributes of God, which are all grounded in love. We know all of them, all that fruit of the Spirit. It's all grounded in love. We have that Holy Spirit of the living God. He, the Holy Spirit, is with us, living with us. And not only that, he'll come upon us. But he's in there with you, with your very spirit. Your spirit became alive when you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord. That live spirit within you now hears the voice of the Holy Spirit. And your spirit within you will speak forth the things of God by the spirit. Not by your flesh. Not by, by your uh, soul. God doesn't speak to your soul. He says we worship him in spirit and in truth. Because the Holy Spirit of the living God is now with us. Amen. And that our spirit is alive. And that is why we can overcome sin. Because we can live by the spirit. We don't have to live answering to our soul. To our soulish desires. We live by the spirit of the living God. And the Holy Spirit is always talking to our spirit. And our spirit's in there stirring inside of us, saying, uh-uh-uh, don't do that. No, 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 don't say that. Apologize to that person that you just spoke that way to. That's what the whole, what our spirit, and if we'll listen, if we'll tune our ear in, we're going to hear the voice of God. We're going to hear that little check in our spirit, saying, walk this way, not that way. Walk with me, and I will show you. The Israelites didn't have that. They were afraid to hear the voice of God. They were terrified to hear the voice of God. Psalm 34, 11 through 14 says, Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. We're going to read a lot of scriptures about the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days... Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. So right there we see that the fear of the Lord is turning from evil, speaking truth, doing good, pursuing peace. If we fear the Lord, what he says, the fear of the Lord is doing these things that I ask you to do. Pursue peace. Don't speak evil. You're showing you fear the Lord when you, when you respond to these things he's asking of us. To begin to see the fear of the Lord is active. It's actions that we take. It's not sitting and trembling and quaking. It's an active pursuit of him and honoring him, being reverent to him. That's what it is. And we begin to see here... That living life is God, as God wants is always really asking of us because he has our best interest at heart. The fear of the Lord, did you know, is mentioned over a hundred times in scripture. The fear of the Lord. Not fear in general, specifically the fear of the Lord. Over a hundred times. So I think that it's a pretty big theme that has been being ignored quite a bit. And so let's examine a few more of the verses. And I'm going to be reading them to you. So listen 
for, for what we're talking about when we say the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 8.13. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior, and perverse speech. God mentions in many, many places when the fear of the Lord comes up that he hates evil. He hates evil. That's a strong word. But also here he's saying to walk in humility and to watch your words. Watch your words. Deuteronomy 10.12 asks, What does the Lord ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all of your soul. And the fear of the Lord is obeying him, loving him, serving him with your whole heart and soul. That was talked about in the first song we sang tonight, serving him with all you have. Abraham was ready to sacrifice his son. We know these stories. Abraham did not withhold even his son. His whole heart and soul belonged to God. Obedience is total surrender. Total surrender and trust of God. As Abraham was ready to sacrifice Isaac, Genesis 22:12 says, Do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me. This is the Lord talking. You have not withheld from me your son, your only son. So fearing God, then, is withholding nothing from him. If we fear God, we will withhold nothing from him. Psalm 86.11 speaks of an undivided heart. Teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. God is faithful. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. To fear the Lord, we need an undivided heart. We cannot serve two masters. Jesus told us that. We need an undivided heart. Proverbs 3, 7 states, do not be wise in your own eyes. So we have to watch dividing ourselves and thinking that we're wiser than God depending on ourself rather than God. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord, shun evil. The fear of the Lord that most assume, the shaking and the quaking and terror, is not the fear that he wants us to have or that we should have. But guess what? It is the fear we will have and we will experience if we do not put away willful sin. Put away willful sin, which is knowing that you're sinning and just doing it anyway. Yep. Just doing it anyway. I know I'm sinning, but, eh, you know, God will understand. God gets it. Willful sin. Knowing that you are sinning and just doing it anyway, making excuses, etc. Hebrews 10, 26 through 31 says, 
For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who rejected Moses' law, like we talked about earlier, dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. So, of how much worse punishment do you suppose? Will he who thought worthy, who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing and insulted the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. The Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. As Jesus sent his disciples to the lost sheep of Israel, he told them, proclaim that the kingdom of God is near. He told them, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. And in Matthew 10, 28, he told them, and do not fear those who are able to destroy both soul and body in hell. No, do not fear, I skipped this, those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. We know that's the Lord. Jesus preceded this verse with this, where he said, Whatever I tell you in dark, speak it in the light. And whatever you hear in the ear, preach it on the housetops. And those instructions are the same for every one of us today. With one exception, and that is, is that this is something we're to carry and do. We're supposed to go out there preaching everything he tells us, whatever he shows us to do at any given moment, what he asks of you by the Holy Spirit to do, what he's told you in his word to do, raise the dead, cleanse those with leprosies or any sickness, drive out demons, heal the sick, speak the gospel, and make people know that the kingdom of heaven is near. The difference is that it's not just to the lost sheep of Israel. The difference is, is that he told us to go to all people. Anyone, wherever you are, in your job, out in the park, if something, opportunity arises and the Spirit of God is stirring in you to do it, be obedient and do it. Proverbs 14, 27 declares, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, turning a person from the snares of death. So the fear of the Lord we're beginning to see is <laughs> pretty important in the Word of God. Pretty important. We need the fear of the Lord here, it says, to avoid the snares of death. Every good gift, we know this, comes from our Heavenly Father. The fear of the Lord is another good gift that he gives us if we will be obedient to doing it. 
fear our Heavenly Father is our maker, and we must never forget, not now or in the life to come, that he deserves our reverence. He deserves our reverence. He deserves our complete obedience. Not just some partial thing. He deserves complete obedience. My goodness, he's so amazing. He loves us so much. He's so good to us. He's provided everything, everything, not some things. He's provided everything we need to be obedient, to live life to the fullest that he wants for us. The Holy Spirit empowers us to overcome sin. He gives us that power, and he teaches us how to honor the giver of every blessing. He teaches us Amen. by the Spirit how to honor our God, Amen. how to worship him. He loves us, and he's proven it to us over and over again. He has given us this incredible offering, this opportunity that he's given each one of us that we can walk intimately with him. Think about knowing what you know about God, that he wants to have that relationship with you just like he, he had with Adam and Eve too, but Adam in the Garden of Eden. He wants to walk intimately with you, and that's why he gave you the Holy Spirit, so that you can hear his voice, so that you can walk tightly with him all the time, so that he's just a word away, a thought away at any given moment. The Holy Spirit, our gift, that's the biggest, biggest gift, and he's, that's what should prove to us how much he loves us. That he himself, you know, not only did Jesus come down and do what he did, but then he said, it's good that I go because I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit of the living God to be with you. If I don't go, you're not going to have that. And it allows us to, to reach so many other people. So many people need him. If we fear the Lord, he will be with us. He will speak to us. He will guide us. He will open the word of God to us. We will hear his voice. And we'll be able to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit all the days of our life here. And to dwell in the house of the Lord forever, which is what we all want. We'll keep before our faces the knowledge, the knowledge that God is the great I am. He's the great I am. He's merciful, he's our loving father, and he also is the righteous judge. The righteous judge. He is God Almighty. Let's not forget, let's not. The Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians 2, 12 through 13, therefore my beloved, he was talking to believers, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to do his good pleasure, his good pleasure. Nothing escapes God's attention. Sometimes we think he doesn't watch everything, but nothing escapes his attention. He knows every thought we have. He knows every deed. His we should have deep reverence for him, a continual awareness of him as we walk in this life, a commitment in our heart that we say to him, I commit, Lord, I commit to remember that you're a holy God. 
I commit to remember that, and I want to walk out my life with you before my face that way. I want to reverence you, and I recognize all you've done. Keep me in remembrance of that, Lord. He's all-powerful. He's majestic, high above all principalities and powers. Every knee will bow. Every knee will bow on heaven and in heaven and on this earth. They will bow to him. So we must not think so highly of ourselves as to try to make God to yield to our desires. We do that. Yield to my desires, God. We need to seek the right relationships with him. Sometimes we do it, but we fall off track. We know we do. We're not always recognizing who he is as we go through, through our day. And he wants us to have a relationship with him, but again, it has to be on his terms. On his terms, not ours. We want to make it on our own terms. In Colossians 1, 15 through 20, I want you to note, as I read this, all the different times that God, that the word all, A-L-L, all is said in this scripture. All is speaking of Jesus Christ, the Lord, in this scripture. He is, this is speaking of Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he's the head of the body. Who's he talking about? The church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything, in everything, he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So as we read that and we see that he is all, in all, through all, is all, he should be our all. Jesus should be our all. Amen. Let all of our decisions be grounded in who he is. Amen. All of our decisions. That we make our decisions with an effort and a goal to please him. To please him. Live in amazement that he, our creator, cares so deeply for us. Take such a personal interest in it. Wants to know everything we're thinking and feeling and wants us to talk to him about it. And then see the foolishness of sin and God's hatred of it. Remember his great mercy and love and in turn, love him. Because he loved us. Love him. Look at all he does for us. Do you know that Psalm 25, 14 says that the Lord confides in those who fear him. Wow. 
He makes his covenant known to them. He confides in those who fear him. He reveals his desires. He opens truths and revelations in the scriptures. We can hear his voice without the dread, without any of that dread that the Israelites at Mount Sinai have. That's how awesome walking rightly with him is, what he will open up to us, what he'll do for us. Proverbs and Psalms state that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It's the beginning of wisdom and also good understanding. Those who fear him, the scriptures say, will lack nothing. Do you see all these blessings and promises? Luke 150 from the song of Mary, remember when she was pregnant, says his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. So future generations who fear him will receive his mercy. And we have all down through the ages. David said in Psalm 27:1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? We should not have to fear anyone but our Lord, and it should be that kind of fear that's a positive thing in our life. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Is the Lord your light? Is he your salvation? Is he the place where you go where you're going to find full strength, where you're going to find courage and supply in your life to face everything out there in this world, every battle that comes your way, every disappointment you may encounter? Is he your light? Is he your salvation, your strength to get through it all? Do you treasure it? Do you treasure your relationship with him? I think we can all be more in awe of him. I think that as we grow more with him, we shouldn't be more so much more familiar with him that we put that aside. We should become more and more and more enamored of who he is and how he's willing to just be so much to us, to love us so much, to supply everything we need. Here's the good, good news. Romans 8.15 says, and this is what I want us to remember as we think about the fear of the Lord. I want us to remember much of what was said, but Romans 8.15 says, we are not slaves to fear. A lot of people are slaves to fear. They fear, they're afraid of everything. God has adopted us. He is our Abba Father. That's very personal and intimate. Fear of the Lord is not as a slave to his harsh master. Are you following that? Fear of the Lord, when he says in Romans 8, 15, we are not slaves to fear. Fear of the Lord is not like being a slave to some harsh master out there. He is our Abba Father. We can go to him. Fear of the Lord is going to him as a loving child to the father that he trusts. He is the one who delivers us from walking in the terrors of this life, walking in the terrors of all the unknown out there. For we can know that he, the omniscient, all-knowing God, 
is our loving Father. He is our loving Father. And we can walk out this life knowing that as we have relationship with him, he'll deliver us. He assures us that we are in good standing with him. He frees us. The accuser is not our father when he says, fear the Lord. The accuser is Satan who hurls insults and fears and tells us we're not, we don't measure up. The Lord God is our Abba Father. He loves us like that. He's not the accuser of the brethren. He loves you with an unfailing love. So we can walk out this life. If we obey him, if our heart's desire is to be closer to him, to have relationship with him, we can walk out this life knowing that he's our Abba Father. But we need to remember to revere him because he is God. He is our creator. He's our maker. And my prayer for this church, our church, but all the churches, all the people of God everywhere, is that we can be just like the early church of Acts 9.31, where the scriptures say they were enjoying a time of peace. Wouldn't we like that? They were enjoying a time of peace. Strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord encouraged by the Holy Spirit. This was the early church. Increasing in numbers. We want to bring people to the Lord. When we say increasing in numbers, sure, it'd be great to have a full house, always, to be over, bursting at the seams here in this building. But to have, be increasing in numbers is really about bringing people to the Lord, speaking to the lost, it's been neglected. People out there need the Lord. You need the Lord. We know every day how much more we need him. And there's people out there who don't know him. They need the Lord. Mm-hmm. And it's up to us, our Father God has said, to bring them in. But when we do, let's bring them in rightly. Let's not make them look at our, our Father God and what Jesus did on the cross lightly. It's amazing. It's bigger than anything that we'll ever know. Let's bring people into knowing the Lord that way. So could we pray together? Could we pray together? Oh, Heavenly Father. Heavenly Father, let's let's pray together. Anyone who needs prayer for anything... You know, the Lord tells us, come together, meet together, that in the presence of the Lord, we find our hope. And in the fellowship of believers, we're to gain encouragement from one another, encouragement from one another. Let's not envy people out there in the world who are sinning, who are doing things that we know God is looking at and frowning upon. 